sighs from hell, or the groans of a lost soul, discovering from Luke chapter 16 the lamentable state of the damned, which may fitly serve as a warning word to sinners, both old and young, by faith in Jesus Christ to avoid the same place of torment, with the discovery of the usefulness of the scriptures as our safe conduct for avoiding the torments of hell. By John Bunyan The Author to the Reader Friends, because it is a dangerous thing to be walking towards the place of darkness and anguish, and again because it is, notwithstanding, the journey that most of the poor souls in the world are taking, and that with delight and gladness, as if there was the only happiness to be found, I have therefore thought it my duty, being made sensible of the danger that will befall those that fall therein, for the preventing of thee, O thou poor man or woman, to tell thee, by opening this parable, what sad success those souls have had, and are likely to have, that have been, or shall be found, persevering therein. We used to count him a friend that will forewarn his neighbor of the danger when he knoweth thereof, and doth also see that the way his neighbor is walking in doth lead right thereto, especially when we think that our neighbor may be either ignorant or careless of his way. My friend, it may be made twenty to one, that thou hast been, ever since thou didst come into the world, with thy back towards heaven and thy face towards hell, and thou, either through ignorance or carelessness, which is as bad if not worse, hast been running full hastily that way ever since. Why, I beseech thee, put a little stop to thy earnest race, and take a view of what entertainment thou art likely to have, if thou do indeed, and in truth, persist in this thy course. Thy way leads down to death, and thy steps take hold on hell. Proverbs 5, 5 It may be the path indeed is pleasant to the flesh, but the end thereof will be bitter to thy soul. Heck, dost thou not hear the bitter cries of them that are but newly gone before, saying, Let him dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, that is so tormented in this flame. Luke chapter 16 Dost thou not hear them say, Send one from the dead to prevent my father, my brother, and my father's house from coming into this place of torment. Shall not then these mournful groans pierce thy twenty hearts? Wilt thou stop thine ears and shut thy eyes? And wilt thou not regard? Take warning and stop thy journey before it be too late. Wilt thou be like the silly fly that is not quiet unless he be either entangled in the spider's web or burned in the candle? Wilt thou be like the bird that hasteth to the snare of the fowler? Wilt thou be like that simple one named in the seventh of Proverbs that will be drawn to this ladder by the cord of a silly lust? O sinner, sinner, there are better things than hell to be had, and at a cheaper rate, by a thousandth part. O there is no comparison. There is heaven, there is God, there is Christ. There is communion with an innumerable company of saints and angels. Hear the message then that God doth send, that Christ doth send, that saints do bring, nay, that the dead do send unto thee. I pray thee, therefore, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. If one went to them from the dead, they would repent. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and ye scorners delight in scorning, and ye fools hate knowledge? Turn ye at my reproof, and behold, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon you, 
I will make known my words unto you. I say, Hear this voice, O silly one, and turn and live, thou sinful soul, lest he make thee hear that other saying, that because I have called and you have refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. I also will laugh at your calamity, and mock when your fear cometh. O poor soul, if God in Christ did wish thee for thine harm, it would be another matter. Then, if thou didst refuse, thou mightest have some excuse to make, or fault to find, and ground to make delays. But this is for thy profit, for thy advantage, for the pardoning of thy sins, the salvation of thy soul, the delivering thee from hellfire, from the wrath to come, from everlasting burnings, into favor with God in Christ, and communion with all happiness that is such indeed. But it may be, thou wilt say, all that hath been spoken of in this discourse is but a parable, and parables are no realities. I could put thee off with this answer, that though it be a parable, yet it is a truth and not a lie, and thou shalt find it so too to thy cost, if thou shalt be found a slighter of God, Christ, and the salvation of thy own soul. But secondly, know for certain that the things signified by parables are wonderful realities. Oh, what a glorious reality was there signified by that parable, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, etc., signifying that sinners of all sorts, of all nations, should be brought into God's kingdom by the net of the gospel. And oh, how real a thing shall the other part thereof be when it is fulfilled which saith, and when it is full, they drew it to the shore, and put the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Matthew 13, verses 47 and 48, signifying the mansions of glory that the saints should have, and also the rejection that God will give to the ungodly and to sinners. And also that parable, what a glorious reality is there in it, which saith, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. John 12:24, To signify that unless Jesus Christ did indeed spill his blood and die the cursed death, he should abide alone. That is, have never a soul into glory with him. But if he died, he should bring forth much fruit, that is, save many sinners. And also how real a truth there is in that parable concerning the Jews putting Christ to death, which the poor dispersed Jews can best experience to their cost, for they have been almost ever since a banished people, and such as have had God's sore displeasure wonderfully manifested against them, according to the truth of that parable. Matthew 21, verses 33-40 O therefore, for Jesus Christ's sake, do not slight the truth, because it is discovered in a parable. For by this argument thou mayest, also nay, thou wilt also slight almost all the things that our Lord Jesus Christ did speak, for he spake them, for the most part, if not all, in parables. Why should it be said of thee, as it is said of some, that these things are spoken to them that are without, in parables, that seeing they might not see, and that hearing they might not understand? Luke chapter 8, verse 10. I say, take heed of being a quarreler against Christ's parables, lest Christ also object against the salvation of thy soul at the judgment day. Friend, I have no more to say to thee now. If thou dost love me, 
pray for me that my God would not forsake me, nor take his Holy Spirit from me, and that God would fit me to do his will and suffer what shall be from the world or the devil inflicted upon me. I must tell thee, the world rages, they stamp and shake their heads, and things they would be doing. The Lord help me to take all they shall do with patience, and when they smite the one cheek, to turn the other to them, that I may do as Christ hath bidden me. For then the Spirit of God and of glory shall rest upon me. Farewell. I am thine to serve in the Lord Jesus. Signed, John Bunyan. Sighs from Hell, or the Groans of a Lost Soul, Chapter 1. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This scripture was not spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ to show you the state of two single persons only, as some through ignorance of the drift of Christ in his parables do dream, but to show you the state of the godly and ungodly to the world's end as is clear to him that is of an understanding heart. For he spake them to the end that after generations should take notice thereof, and fear lest they also fall into the same condition. Now in my discourse upon these words I shall not be tedious, but as briefly as I may, I shall pass through the several verses and lay you down some of the several truths contained therein. And the Lord grant that they may be profitable and of great advantage to those that read them or hear them read. The first two or three verses of this parable I shall not spend much time upon, only give you three or four short hints, and so pass on to the next verses, for they are the words I do intend most especially to insist upon. The verses run thus, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, etc. If these verses had been spoken by Jesus Christ, and no more, all the world would have been apt to have cast a wrong interpretation upon them. I say, if Jesus had said only this much, there was a certain rich man which fared sumptuously daily, and a certain beggar laid at his gate full of sores, the world would have made this conclusion of them. The rich man was the happy man, for at first view it doth represent such a thing. But take all together, that is, read the whole parable, and you shall find that there is no man in a worse condition than he, as I shall clearly hold forth afterward. Again, if a man would judge of men according to outward appearance, he shall oftentimes take his mark amiss. Here is a man who to outward appearance appears the only blessed man, better by half than the beggar, inasmuch as he is rich, the beggar poor. He is well clothed, but peradventure the beggar is naked. He hath good food, but the beggar would be glad of dog's meat. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The rich man fares well every day, but the beggar must be glad of a bit when he can get it. Oh, who would not be in a rich man's estate? A wealthy man, sorts of new suits, and dainty dishes every day, enough to make one who minds nothing but his belly and his back and his lust, to say, Oh, that I were in that man's condition! Oh, that I had things about me as that man has! Then I should live a life indeed. Then should I have heart's ease, good store, 
then I should live pleasantly and might say to my soul, Soul, be of good cheer. Eat, drink, and be merry. Luke chapter 12, verse 19. Thou hast everything plenty and art in a most blessed condition. I say, this might be the conclusion with them that judge according to outward appearance. But if the whole parable be well considered, you will see that which is had in high estimation with men is an abomination in the sight of God. Luke chapter 16, verse 15. And again, that condition that is the saddest condition according to outward appearance is oftentimes the most excellent. Job chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. For the beggar had ten thousand degrees the best of it, though to outward appearance his state was the saddest. From whence we shall observe thus much. 1. That those who judge according to outward appearance do for the most part judge amiss. John chapter 7, verse 24. 2. That they who look upon the outward enjoyments to be tokens of God's special grace unto them are also deceived. Revelation 3:17. For as it is here in the parable, a man of wealth and a child of the devil may make but one person, or a man may have abundance of outward enjoyments and yet be carried by the devil into eternal burning. Luke chapter 16 verse 23 But this is the trap in which the devil hath caught many thousands of poor souls, namely, by getting them to judge according to outward appearance or according to God's outward blessings. Do but ask a poor, carnal, covetous wretch how he should know a man to be in a happy state, and he will answer, Those that God blesseth and giveth abundance of this world to, when for the most part they are they that are the cursed men. Alas, poor men, they are so ignorant as to think that because a man is increased in outward things, and that by a small stock, therefore God doth love that man with a special love or else he would never do so much for him, never bless him so, and prosper the works of his hands. Ah, poor soul, it is the rich man that goes to hell. And the rich man died and in hell. Mark, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. Methinks to see how the great ones of the world will go strutting up and down the street sometimes, it makes me wonder. Surely they look upon themselves to be the only happy men. But it is because they judge according to outward appearance. They look upon themselves to be the only blessed men when the Lord knows the generality of such are left out of that blessed condition. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 1 Corinthians 1.26 Ah, did they that do now so brag that nobody dare scarce look on them, but believe this, it would make them hang down their heads and cry, O oh, give me a Lazarus portion. I might here enlarge very much, but I shall not. Only this much I shall say to you that have much of this world. Have a care that you have not your portion in this world. Take heed that it be not said to you hereafter, when you would very willingly have heaven. Remember in your lifetime you had your good things. In your lifetime you had your portion. Psalm 17, verse 14 And friend, thou that seekest after this world and desirest riches, let me ask this question. Wouldst thou be content that God should put thee off with a portion in this life? 
Wouldst thou be glad to be kept out of heaven with a back well clothed and a belly well filled with the dainties of this world? Wouldst thou be glad to have all thy good things in this lifetime, to have thy heaven to last no longer than while thou dost live in this world? Wouldst thou be willing to be deprived of eternal happiness and felicity? If thou say no, then have a care of the world and thy sins. Have a care of desiring to be a rich man, lest thy table be made a snare unto thee. Psalm 114, verse 22 Lest the wealth of this world do bar thee out of glory. For as the apostle saith, They that will be rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 1 Timothy 6, 9 Thus much in general, but now in particularly. These two men here spoken of, as I said, do hold forth to us the state of the godly and ungodly, the beggar holding forth the godly and the rich man the ungodly. But why, under the notion of a rich man, are the ungodly held forth? 1. Because Christ would not have them look too high, as I said before but that those who have riches would have a care that they be not all their portion. James 1, verses 10 through 12, and 1 Timothy 4, verse 17. 2. Because rich men are most liable to the devil's temptations, are most ready to be puffed up with pride, stoutness, and cares of this world, in which things they spend most of their time, in lust, drunkenness, wantonness, idleness, together with other works of the flesh, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Colossians 3.6 3. Because he would comfort the hearts of his own, which are most commonly of the poorer sort. For God hath chosen the poor, despised, and base things of this world. 1 Corinthians 1.28 Should God have set the rich man in the blessed state, his own children would have concluded, being poor, that they had no share in the life to come. 4. And again, had not God given such a discovery of the sad condition of those that are for the most part rich men, we should have had men conclude absolutely that the rich are the blessed men. Nay, though the Lord himself doth so evidently declare that the rich ones of the world are for the most part in the saddest condition, yet they, through unbelief or else presumption, to harden themselves and seek for the glory of this world, as though the Lord Jesus Christ did not mean as he said, or else that he will say more than shall assuredly come to pass. But let them know that the Lord hath a time to fulfill what he had a time to declare, for the scripture cannot be broken. John 10:35. 5. But observe, that the Lord by his word doth not mean those are ungodly who are rich in the world and no other. For then must all those that are poor, yet graceless and vain men, be saved and delivered from eternal vengeance, which would be contrary to the word of God, which saith that together with the kings of the earth and the great men and the chief captains and the mighty men, there are bondmen or servants and slaves that cry out at the appearance of the Almighty God, and his Son Jesus Christ to judgment. Revelation 6.15 So that, though Christ doth say, there was a certain rich man, yet you must understand he meaneth all the ungodly, rich or poor. 
Nay, if you will not understand it so now, you shall be made to understand it to be so meant at the day of Christ's second coming, when all that are ungodly shall stand at the left hand of Christ with pale faces and guilty consciences, with the vials of the Almighty's wrath ready to be poured out upon them. Thus much in brief touching this verse. I might have observed other things from it, but now I forbear, having other things to speak of at this time. Chapter 2 And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Verse 20 This verse doth chiefly hold forth these things. 1. That the saints of God are a poor, contemptible people. There was a certain beggar. If you understand the word beggar to hold forth outward poverty or scarcity in outward things, such are the saints of the Lord, for they are for the most part a poor, despised, contemptible people. But if you allegorize it and interpret it thus, they are such as beg earnestly for heavenly food, there is also the spirit of the children of God, and it may be, and is a truth in this sense, though not so naturally gathered from this scripture. 2. These words hold forth the distempers of believers, saying, He was full of sores, which may signify the many troubles, temptations, persecutions, and afflictions in body and spirit which they meet with while they are in the world, and also the entertainment they meet with at the hands of those ungodly ones who live upon the earth. Whereas it is said, He was laid at his gate full of sores. Mark, he was laid at his gate, not in his house. That was thought too good for him. But he was laid at his gate full of sores. From whence observe, that the ungodly world do not desire to entertain and receive the poor saints of God into their houses. They must needs be somewhere near unto them, yet they shall not come into their houses. Shut them out of the doors. If they will needs be near us, let them be at the gate. And he was laid at the gate full of sores. Observe also that the world are not at all touched with the afflictions of God's children, for all they are full of sores. A despised, afflicted, tempted, persecuted people the world doth not pity. No, but rather labor to aggravate their trouble by shutting them out of doors. Sink or swim, what cares the world? They are resolved to disown them. They will give them no entertainment. If the lying in the streets will do them any good, if hard usage will do them any good, if it to be disowned, rejected and shut out of doors by the world will do them any good, they shall have enough of that. But otherwise no refreshment, no comfort from the world. And he was laid at his gate, full of sores. Chapter 3, page 14 And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 21 by all these words our Lord Jesus doth show us the frame of a Christian's heart, and also the heart and carriage of worldly men towards the saints of the Lord. The Christian's heart is held forth by this, that anything will content him while he is on this side of glory. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs, the dog's meat, anything. I say a Christian will be content with anything, if he have but enough to keep life and soul together, as we used to say, he is content, he is satisfied. He hath learned, if he hath learned to be a Christian, to be content with anything. As Paul saith, 
I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He learns in all conditions to study, to love God, to walk with God, to give up himself to God. And if the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table will but satisfy nature and give him bodily strength, that thereby he may be the more able to walk in the way of God, he is contented. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. But mark, he had them not. You do not find that he had so much as a crumb or a scrap allowed unto him. No, then the dogs will be beguiled. That must be preserved for the dogs. From whence observe that the ungodly world do love their dogs better than the children of God. You will say, that is strange. It is so indeed, yet it is true, as will be clearly manifested. As for instance, how many pounds do some men spend on their dogs, when in the meanwhile the poor saints of God may starve for hunger? They will build houses for their dogs, when the saints must be glad to wander and lodge in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11.38 And if they be in any of their houses, for the rent thereof they will warn them out or eject them, or pull down the house over their heads, rather than not rid themselves of such tenants. Again, some men cannot go half a mile from home, but they must have dogs at their heels. But they can very willingly go half a score of miles without the society of a Christian. Nay, if when they are busy with their dogs, they should chance to meet a Christian, they would willingly shift him if they could. They will go on the other side of the hedge or the way, rather than they will have any society with him. And if at any time a child of God should come into a house where there are but two or three ungodly wretches, they do commonly wish either themselves or the saint out of doors. And why so? Because they cannot down with the society of a Christian. Though if there come in at the same time a dog or a drunken swearing wretch, which is worse than a dog, they will make him welcome. He shall sit down with them and partake of their dainties. And now tell me, you that love your sins and your pleasures, had you not rather keep company with a drunkard, a swearer, a strumpet, a thief, nay, a dog, than with an honest-hearted Christian? If you say no, what means your sour carriage to the people of God? Why do you look on them as if you would eat them up? Yet at the very same time, if you can but meet your dog or a drunken companion, you can fawn upon them, take acquaintance with them, to the tavern or alehouse with them, if it be two or three times in a week. But if the saints of God meet together, pray together, and labor to edify one another, you will stay till doomsday before you will look into the house where they are. Ah, friends, when all comes to all, you will be found to love drunkards, trumpets, dogs, anything, nay, to serve the devil, rather than to have loving, friendly society with the saints of God. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Here again you may see not only the afflicted state of saints of God in this world, but also that even dogs themselves, according to their kind, are more favorable to the saints than the sinful world. Though the ungodly will have no mercy on the saints, yet it is ordered so that these creatures, dogs, lions, etc., will. Though the rich man would not entertain him in his house, yet his dogs will come and do him the best good they can, even to lick his running sores. It was thus with Daniel, when the world was mad against him, 
and would have thrown him to the lions to be devoured, the lions shut their mouths at him. Or rather the Lord did shut them up, so that there was not that hurt befell him that was desired by the adversaries. Daniel chapter 6 And this I am persuaded of, that would the creatures do as some men would have them, the saints of God should not walk so quietly up and down the streets and other places as they do. And as I said before, so I say again, I am persuaded that at the day of judgment many men's conditions and carriages will be so laid open that it will evidently appear they have been very merciless and mad against the children of God, insomuch that when the providence of God did fall out so as to cross their expectations, they have been very much offended thereat, as is very evidently seen in them who set themselves to study how to bring the saints into bondage and to thrust them into corners as in these late years. Psalm 31, 13 And because God hath in his goodness ordered things otherwise, they have gnashed their teeth thereat. Hence then, let the saints learn not to commit themselves to their enemies. Beware of men. Matthew 10:17. They are very merciless men, and will not so much favor you, if they can help it, as you may suppose they may. Nay, unless the overruling hand of God in the goodness do order things contrary to their natural inclination, they will not favor you so much as a dog. Chapter 4, page 17 And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 22 The former verses briefly hold forth the carriage of the ungodly in this life toward the saints. Now this verse doth hold forth the departure both of the godly and the ungodly out of this life. Wherefore it is said, And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died also. This beggar died, that represents the godly, and the rich man died, that represents the ungodly. From whence observe, neither godly nor ungodly must live always without a change, either by death or judgment. The good man died, and the bad man died. That scripture doth also bath this truth, that good and bad must die, marvelous well where it is said, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Mark, this doth not say it is so, that men by chance may die, which might beget in the hearts of the ungodly especially some hope to escape the bitterness of it. But it saith, it is a thing most certain, it is appointed. Mark, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. God hath decreed it, that since men have fallen from that happy estate that God at the first did set them in, they shall die. Romans 6.23 Now when it is said, the beggar died, and the rich man died, part of the meaning is, they cease to be any more in this world. I say partly the meaning is, but not altogether. Though it be altogether the meaning when some of the creatures die, yet it is but in part of the meaning when it is said that men, women, or children die. For there is to them something else to be said, more than a barely going out of the world. For if when unregenerate men and women die, there were an end of them, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, they would be happy over what they will be now. For when ungodly men and women die, 
there is that to come after death that will be very terrible to them, namely to be carried by the angels of darkness from their deathbeds to hell, there to be reserved to the judgment of the great day when both body and soul shall meet and be united together again and made capable of undergoing the uttermost vengeance of the Almighty to all eternity. This is that, I say, which doth follow a man that is not born again after death, as is clear from 1 Peter 3, verses 18 and 19, where before speaking of Christ being raised again by the power of the eternal Spirit, he saith, by which, that is, by that Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. But what is the meaning of this? Why thus much? that those souls who were once alive in the world in the times or days in which Noah lived, being disobedient in their times to the calls of God by his spirit in Noah, for so I understand it, were, according to that which was foretold by that preacher, overcome by the flood, deprived of life, and are now in prison. Mark, he preached to the spirits in prison. He does not say who were in prison. Under chains of darkness, reserved, or kept there in that prison in which now they are, ready like villains in the jail to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ at the great day. But of this I shall speak further by and by. Now if this one truth, that men must die and depart this world, and either enter into joy or else into prison, to be reserved to the day of judgment, were believed, we should not have so many wantons walk up and down the streets as there do. At least it would put a mighty check to their filthy carriages so that they would not, could not, walk so basely and sinfully as they do. Belshazzar, notwithstanding, he was so far from the fear of God as he was, yet when he did but see God was offended and threatened him for his wickedness, it made him hang down his head and knock his knees together. Daniel 5, verses 5 and 6. If you read the verses before, you will find he was careless and satisfying his lust in drinking and playing the wanton with his concubines. But so soon as he did perceive the finger of an handwriting, then, saith the scripture, the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. And when Paul told Felix of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, it made him tremble. And let me tell thee, soul, whoever thou art, that if thou didst but verily believe that thou must die and come to judgment, it would make thee turn over a new leaf. But this is the misery. The devil doth labor by all means as to keep out other things that are good, so to keep out of the heart, as much as in him lies, the thoughts of passing from this life into another world. For he knows if he can but keep them from the serious thoughts of death, he shall the more easily keep them in their sins, and so from clothing with Jesus Christ. As Job saith, their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Which makes them say to God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Job 22:14. Because there is no fear of death and judgment to come, therefore they do put off God and his ways, and spend their days in their sins and in a moment, that is, before they are aware, go down to the grave. Verse 17. And thus it fared also with the man spoken of in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. This man, instead of thinking on death, thought how he might make his barns bigger. But in the midst of his business in the world, 
He lost his soul before he was aware, supposing that death had been many years off. But God said unto him, Thou fool, thou troublest thyself about things of this life. Thou puttest off the thoughts of departing this world, when this night thy soul shall be taken from thee. Or, this night, they that is, devils will fetch away thy soul from thee. And hence it comes to pass, by men's not being exercised with the thoughts of departing this life, that they are so unexpectedly to themselves and their neighbors taken away from the pleasures and profits, yea, and all the enjoyments they busy themselves with while they live in this world. And hence it is again that you have some in your towns and cities that are so suddenly taken away, some from haunting the alehouses, others from haunting the whorehouses, others from playing and gaming, others from cares and covetous desires after this world, unlooked for as by themselves or their companions. Hence it is also that men do so wonder at such tidings as these, that there is such a one dead, such a one departed. It is because they do so little consider both the transitoriness of themselves and their neighbors. For had they but their thoughts well exercised about the shortness of this life, and the danger that will befall such as do miss of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would make them more wary and sober, and spend more time in the service of God, and be more delighted and diligent in inquiring after the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Deliverer from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 For as I said before, it is evident that they who live after the flesh in the lust thereof do not really and seriously think on death and the judgment that doth follow after. Neither do they indeed endeavor so to do. For did they, it would make them say with holy Job, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Job 14, verse 14 and, as I said before, not only the wicked, but also the godly, have their time to depart of this life. And the beggar died. The saints of the Lord, they must be deprived of this life also. They must yield up the ghost into the hands of the Lord their God. They must also be separated from their wives, children, husbands, friends, goods, and all that they have in the world. For God hath decreed it. It is appointed, namely by the Lord, for men wants to die, and we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ as it is. 2 Corinthians 5.10 But it may be objected, if the godly die as well as the wicked, if the saints must appear before the judgment seat as well as sinners, then what advantage have the godly more than the ungodly? And how can the saints be in a better condition than the wicked? Answer Read this verse over again, and you will find a marvelous difference between them, as much as is between heaven and hell, everlasting joy and everlasting torment. For you find that when the beggar died, who represents the godly, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, or into everlasting joy. But the ungodly are not so, Psalm 1, but are driven away in their wickedness, Proverbs 14, verse 32 hurried by the devils into the bottomless pit, for it saith, and in hell he lift up his eyes. When the ungodly die, their misery beginneth, for then appear the devils, like so many lions, waiting every moment till the soul depart from the body. Sometimes they are visible to the dying party, but sometimes more invisible. But always this is certain, they never miss of the soul. 
if it do die out of the Lord Jesus Christ, but do haul it away to the prison, as I said before, there to be tormented and reserved until the great and dreadful day of judgment, at which day they must, body and soul, receive a final sentence from the righteous judge, and from that time be shut out from the presence of God into everlasting woe and distress. But the godly, when the time of their departure is at hand, then also are the angels of the Lord at hand. Yea, these are ready, waiting upon the soul to conduct it safe into Abraham's bosom. I do not say, but the devils are oftentimes very busy, doubtless, and attending the saints in their sickness. I, and no question, but they would willingly deprive the soul of glory. But here is the comfort. As the devils come from hell to devour the soul, if it be possible, at its departure, so the angels of the Lord come from heaven to watch over and conduct the soul, in spite of the devils, safe into Abraham's bosom. David had the comfort of this, and speaks it forth for the comfort of his brethren. Psalm 34, verse 7, saying, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Mark. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about his children to deliver them. From what? From their enemies, of which the devil is not the least. This is an excellent comfort at any time, to have the holy angels of God to attend a poor man or woman. But especially it is comfortable in the time of distress, at the time of death, when the devils beset the soul with all the power that hell can afford them. But now it may be that the glorious angels of God do not appear at the first to the view of the soul. Nay, rather, hell stands before it, and the devils ready, as if they would carry it thither. But this is the comfort. The angels do always appear at the last, and will not fail the soul, but will carry it safe into Abraham's bosom. Ah, friends, consider. Here is an ungodly man upon his deathbed, and he hath none to speak for him, none to speak comfort unto him. But it is not so with the children of God, for they have the Spirit to comfort them. Here are the ungodly, and they have no Christ to pray for their safe conduct to glory, but the saints have an intercessor. Job 17, verse 9 This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, 
neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.